Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you um, that you... Uh, desire to speak to us, um, that you desire to continue your work in our lives. Uh, we thank you that you are the beginner and finisher, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. Um, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts this morning, Lord, let your word um, do what you intended it to do. Um, we pray that you wouldn't let me get in the way of that, uh, that the words I speak would be um, only what you would want me to speak today. Uh, we just lift this up to you in your name. Amen. You would go ahead and have a seat. Um, so we're going to do something a little bit different today um, in just in the terms of how we're going to go through the passage. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those TV shows or a movie that starts with like the, the final scene and you see what happens. And then somehow they still make a movie out of the rest of it where you now go back through the whole process of getting to that place. And it's, it's almost like watching a, a movie in reverse. Uh, it's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to start actually with verse 4, and then we're going to kind of work our way back to the top of the chapter. Um, and I don't know if this will make sense to you. I'm hoping it does. Uh, but for whatever reason, it made sense to me when I was reading this. Um, but in verse 4, let's start there. In verse 4, Paul says, that When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. And and the way I was looking at this is it looks like this is sort of the conclusion. This is the goal. This is the finish line, right? The finish line is that Christ is our life so much so that we basically become like Christ, right? That's kind of our path right now, uh, becoming like him. Um, and then ultimately we share in his glory, right? When we go to be with him. And so that's kind of the finish line. So how do we get to that finish line though? Um, and what does that really look like? It looks like everything is about him. And what we're going to see today, um, and what we've been seeing, right, the, w- the way Paul is kind of going through this book and this letter, um, we're seeing that everything in our lives is about Christ. It's all supposed to point to him. Um, everything can be used to glorify him or not. You know, we, we get to, to be a part of that decision, whether we're going to do that or not. But everything can do that. Um, so what does that look like? And that's where we're going to kind of go step by step through this. We're going to start um, in verse 3. We're going to see that you have to know who you are. Uh, in verse 2, you have to know what you're about. And then finally, in verse 1, you have to know your goal. Know what, what's, what is the end game there. So let's start in um, verse 3. Know who you are. Um, Let's reread that verse real quick for reference. Uh, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, So ultimately, you are not of this world, right? You are of Christ. Um, That is where we belong now. Um, And there's a couple of things that jumped out at me about this. The first um, has to do uh, with a pretty common topic today. um, That is just the idea of labels, um, right, that the world wants to label all of us. We want to label each other. Um, part of that is just how our minds work. It's easiest to understand things when we can categorize things and you know put things in little boxes, and we understand this box is this, this box is that. Um, it helps us understand things, but 
in many ways, it can also have a lot of negative consequences if we're not careful how far we take that um, and how we use that in our lives. And the, the labels that the world attaches to us, uh, I say the world, again, we all do this kind of every day, but um, the, the, these labels aren't really accurate as to who we are anymore because we are dead to this world and alive in Christ. So the labels that were given to us they don't really reflect us. And a lot of times the, the labels that we get might be our job, right? You might be a police officer or a doctor or you know, a teacher. Um, you might just be defined as a mother or father or you might be a student. Right? These, all these different kinds of labels that are attached to us. And those things do to some degree describe who we are, what we do. Um, but ultimately now that we are saved and we've been born again, those labels don't describe us or define us they are just things that we do. Those are just little pieces of what we do. Those aren't who we are. Um, and that often become, can, can get us into some trouble when we start to um, buy into those things. Because, I mean, you get the old classics like you've got jocks and nerds. And for whatever reason, there's apparently no way a nerd can be physically fit and enjoy sports. Um, and we, we like make these, these little roles that everybody fits um, and then we expect you to live in that role. And the problem is if we buy into that and we start to believe that about ourselves, then it starts to limit what we're able to do. Um, and, and we all kind of know this, I think, intuitively. It's a big topic in the culture, really. Um, but if you label yourself as a jock and you buy into that, like, I'm the sports guy, that's what I know, then, you know, what about the people who are pretty good at sports but also have a gift for understanding and explaining biology? You know, they may never explore that avenue and do something that they're truly gifted to do uh, because they bought into this label that was put onto them. Um, and, and more importantly, uh, this is very limiting in our um, in our life with Christ. Because if we start to buy into those labels and say, this is who I am, um, you start to limit what God is able to do in your life, right? God wants to do all these things in your life. And it might be in that thing, you know, maybe you are truly gifted at sports and that's where God wants to use you. Um, but if you just decide that's all you are, then you don't allow God to use you in other areas that you refuse to pursue because those aren't who you are, right? We start to limit what we allow him to do in our life, even though he has these big plans um, that might be attached to us. Um, and so we have to remove our identity from the things that we do. And we have to put our identity in Christ and then let those things that we do flow out of that identity, right? Flow out of who we are in him. And that might include, again, all those things that we label ourselves, but we don't want to limit ourselves to those things. Um, and that's just one thing that I thought, you know, was really important. It frees us from these limitations and these maybe even chains that we, we attach to ourselves or we let the world attach it to us. Um, but even more than that, I think there's another aspect of this. It's not just labels um, and, and these categories that we put ourselves in. It's um, the stresses and anxieties of the world, right? It's this idea of if we let ourselves forget that we are dead to this life and alive in Christ, and we start to focus on our life here in this earth, um, that brings with it a lot of anxieties and stresses and, and things that we don't really need, uh, right? We, we don't want those things, uh, but we, we all live in those things. We have to deal with them. Um, and I think, you know, Paul gives us a couple of examples here. Um, 
Well, Paul tells us here, right, you are dead to this life. So don't, the idea is you don't worry about the things of this life anymore because you're dead here. This, is, this isn't life anymore. Your life is hidden in Christ, right? Your life is hidden in heaven. Um, so what are, what are some of these things? I wanted to just go through a few of these, um, these things that we fear or we stress, um, we feel anxious over. Um, a few of these things and you get an idea of how when we, uh, we see ourselves as dead in this world and alive in Christ, how these things maybe can go away. We can maybe deal with them in a better way. Um, the first one is the idea of fearing people. This is idea we fear people, what they can do to us, what they think about us, what all these things that are attached to our relationships with people. And we find all over the Bible, um, God speaking to his people through um, his prophets and his disciples. Uh, and he's speaking to us about this, uh, this is subject in Psalms uh, 118 verse 6. And, and I wasn't able to get all the verses over, so you won't see them all on the screen. Um, you can write them down if you want to go back and find them later uh, or ask me after the service and give you all the passages but psalm 118 verse 6 um, david says the lord is for me so i will have no fear what can mere people do to me and you have this idea right what can mere we're just people people can't do anything to you of any real um eternal significance um in uh first john 4 4 I uh, see John saying, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So we have, you know, this, this greater spirit, the spirit of the Lord living inside of us. And he's greater than anything that you can find in this world. So we don't have to fear what people can do to us. Another fear that we, we face very frequently, I think, uh, especially today, is this fear of being alone, right? This fear of loneliness. Um, it's something we deal with a lot today as we're becoming more and more separated from people. And we do more and more of our communication through, you know, phones and texting and emails and all this stuff, social media. Um, we're becoming more and more lonely people uh, is what studies are finding. And um, the Bible talks a lot about this, that you are not alone and you don't have to fear being alone. Um, John 14, verse 18, John says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you, right? Jesus was leaving, but he wasn't leaving them alone and he wasn't leaving them forever. Um, and he wanted to ensure that they knew that. Um, back in 1 Samuel um, chapter 12, verse 22 we see, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own, right? He chose to make us his people and he chose to make the people of Israel his people and he was not going to reject them. He would never leave them. Uh, in Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, we see, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And this, again, this idea that he doesn't leave us to ourselves. Um, he will never abandon us. Um, in, in that verse, he even goes so far as he sets family, lonely people in families, right? He, he finds people for people. Uh, he doesn't want us to be alone. And then finally, um, 
why, uh, why do we fear death? Death is often, right, the, the, the greatest thing all of us fear that uh, we have to deal with. Um, and it's the greatest thing, really, that could happen to any of us, the, the, the biggest thing that could happen to any of us. Uh, in Matthew ten twenty eight, Jesus said, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell, right? That idea, people can't touch us. They can't do anything to us, really, of uh, eternal significance again. God can do that. Um, and that's where our fear and reverence and respect should be. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, we see, Because God's children are human beings made of earth and flesh, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Uh, he very clearly just says people live their lives, right, in fear, constant fear of dying. Um, and that may not be all of us, but that's certainly some of us. Um, and he specifically says God came in the way he came so that you don't have to live like that anymore. Um, and I think that's pretty amazing. And then just finally, in general, um, fear, right? Why do we fear anything? Uh, and th- this one, I think, was really cool. It's, I'm for sure a verse you all heard many times. First um, John verses, chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. It says, All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our uh, trust in his love. God is love, and all who live... All who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Um, A great quote I saw from uh, Oswald Chambers um, put it this way. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Um, I just think that really kind of sums it up. We don't have anything to fear as Christians. And I don't want this to sound, uh, maybe you're already hearing this in your head, but I don't want this to sound as like this flippant dismissal of anything that you might be going through. Right? We, we face very real challenges, real difficulties. Um, it's not to say that our fears or anxieties are they're baseless, that we, we shouldn't have those at all, uh, but that there's a way to take care of those now. There's a person to put those things in and trust in where we don't have to live in those things anymore. We don't have to live in those fears and anxieties anymore. Uh, and so just as a kind of a conclusion here, um, I just two things that I think kind of tie this together. Um, and hopefully will help you feel as if this is not just a flippant dismissal of everything we might be going through uh, because I don't know your life. Um, but the first thing I want to say is be encouraged, right? We have, uh, we have a God who knows the fears and anxieties that we experience. He knows uh, that was, again, why he came the way he did. He came as a person and experienced those things. Um, he knows the, the, the things that we face in life and he cares about them. He's, he doesn't say these things that he has said to us right now as, a, again, a dismissal. Like, oh, you humans are just afraid of everything. Um, that, that's not the point. The point is that he cares, and he doesn't want us to live in those things. Right in First Peter um, chapter 5, verse 7, 
Peter tells us, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Right? It's not just give them to him. He can take care of it. It's not a big deal. Uh, the reason we can do that is because he wants us to. He wants us to give him those things because he cares, and he doesn't want us to live like that. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds everything we can understand, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Right? It's not just that he cares, but he wants to give us peace. He wants to provide relief from us living in these fears and anxieties. Second, um, not just be encouraged, but also um, I just the worst case scenario for us, and, and this is me, I'm a very practical person. So for me, I always try to think if I'm going through something difficult, what's the worst that could happen here so that I can prepare myself for that? Because uh, I assume it's going to come. But also, uh, it gives me an idea like, how concerned should I be about this? Is this something I should really be worried about? Um, because the worst that could happen is, you know, X. Um, and for us as Christians, and again, we don't mean this flippantly, but the worst thing that could possibly happen to us is that we die and then we go to heaven, right? I mean, the, the, the struggles, the difficulties and things that we go through, uh, they're very real. They're very difficult. Um, this not again to dismiss those things, but in the end, if we die from that, it's the worst case scenario. We still, we get to go to be in heaven. Um, and I just wanted to read a couple of verses that talk about this. Um, and I think will hopefully be an encouragement to us as we're going through these struggles. Um, that, you know, the best is yet to come. And, and it, it is coming. Uh, in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Uh, John tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw that holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. To, uh, and all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my children. And I think that is pretty amazing. Um, all the things that we do fear that we have to deal with here on earth are all going to be wiped away. Um, everything is coming. He, he goes the extra mile to tell us this is trustworthy. Write it down because it will happen. Um, and I just think that's amazing and can be such an encouragement as we deal with these things and as we try to take our anxieties and lay them at Jesus' feet. Um, these, this can be a huge encouragement to us. I think will help us to do that. Um, even and you've heard this verse before, I'm sure, but Paul in Romans 8, uh, verses 18 through 21 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly, eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. 
Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. You know, Paul, a guy who experienced pretty much every bad thing the world could offer, um, is telling us, you know, what we deal with here is nothing in comparison to what's coming. Um, and and you, you're going to forget all about this when we get there, uh, a, a world free of death and decay. And that sounds pretty amazing. So, again, I hope this is an encouragement. Um, I think this is what Paul is trying to tell us, right? We are dead to this world. Don't worry about the things of this world. Focus on the things of heaven, the things of God. But how do we do that? What are some practical things that we can do um, that will help us to stop thinking about the things of um, this world and thinking about the things of heaven? Um, so the second thing here in verse 2 uh, is that we need to know what we're about, uh, to know what you're about. So verse 2 says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And it sounds pretty similar to what we just read, um, but I think this kind of gives us a little bit different look at how we do that now. And it gets really more practical, which is helpful for a person like me, um, and hopefully will be helpful for you as well. What Paul is trying to tell us here, I think, is that the things we do here on earth have eternal consequences, or at least they have eternal ramifications. Things, um, they impact the eternal. They're not just things that we do. Um, and I think what he's trying to tell us is that everything matters. And we're going to see this. Um, we've seen this a little bit. You know, last week, I know Dallas was talking a lot about um, legalism, right? the idea that we, we start to attach rules and do's and don'ts that aren't actually rules and do's and don'ts, um, but we attach them because they matter to us for some reason, or maybe we were raised that way, or whatever, whatever it might be. We start to create these rules that don't truly exist and um, what, he, what I think he's trying to tell us is he's reaffirming that those rules, those do's and don'ts and everything, they don't, they don't um, apply because things in and of themselves don't matter, right? So, so many of the things. Like, for example, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he deals with this, uh, with the, the idea of foods and drinks and all these different things that they were making these rules. You could eat this, you can't eat that, you do all these things. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 25 through 29, he says, So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for a dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? Paul's trying to tell them that the, the food doesn't matter. It's not, the, the food isn't the point. If It's just food, right? So if you want to eat it and you don't have a problem with that between you and God, eat it. It's not a big deal. But if it matters to somebody else and they're not in that same position that you are, maybe they don't have that same freedom um, that you have, um, then, you know, if that person is there or they point it out to you or something, then, well, don't, don't eat it because the food doesn't matter. We do it for that person and for their conscience. Uh, we do it for their, uh, the, the sake of their soul, essentially. Um, Paul is just saying food is food. We, we don't stress about that. We don't make a rule that you can't eat this because it's food. We don't make a rule you have to eat this 
because it's just food. We, we do these things um, out of consideration for those around us. Um, and Paul tells us kind of why exactly. Um, again, in, in Romans, he says it a little bit more strongly. Romans 14, uh, verses 14 and 15, it says, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believes, uh, if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin something uh, ruin someone for whom Christ died. Again, it's, it has nothing to do with the actual act itself. It's all about the person. It's all about others and how our actions are impacting those around us. Paul tells us why, um, how does this even relate, right? We're talking about like legalism and all this stuff. How does this come back um, to it? Paul tells us um, back in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the conclusion there was that, so what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, and, and the point again comes back to every little thing, even what we eat for dinner um, can be done in a way that glorifies God. Uh, and that's, that's what matters. Um, that's what he's trying to get at. And that's, I think, why Paul is telling us, don't be legalistic. Don't be wrapped up in these things because those things don't matter. Glorifying God matters. Um, and helping those around you matters. And so uh, that's why we, we do this. And he talks about this, not just food and beverages. He talks about this in a lot of ways, right? We, last week we talked about holidays, Right? We talked about why specific holidays, they don't matter anymore in and of themselves. Um, there might be reasons to celebrate, and that, that's perfectly fine if you want to celebrate those holidays on specific days or in specific ways. Like that, Those things don't really matter as long as those are things that you're doing to glorify the Lord. What matters is that we don't make everyone else do everything that we do because that's the way to do things. Right? Uh, there's, those kind of days don't matter anymore. Um, he talks about it with circumcision, right? We, the, the Jews were told to be circumcised. That was a rule for them. Um, but then once Christ came, there was all this debate now about Jews trying to make the Greeks and the, the Gentiles be circumcised because that was the rule. Um, and, and the decision was that's not really the rule. Let's not make other people do that. That, that is not a requirement for us anymore. Um, to be saved, right? That, that was the whole point was, you know, Paul and Barnabas were dealing with this and they came back to Jerusalem to the leaders of the church to figure out, should we make these Gentiles be circumcised or not eat food or all these different things? And they said, don't make it hard for people to be saved. Um, and, you know, at that time they gave them a couple of rules, like don't do some of these things because that's going to create a lot of conflict. But, but in general, the rule was don't make it hard for people to be saved. Don't make it hard on your brother or your sister. Um, and it, again, doesn't come down to just these things. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about how we should act as Christians um, in a lot of different areas. And so I just want to go through a couple of those. Um, again, give you some verses that will hopefully help you understand um, how, how the, the things we do have eternal ramifications. Um, so, for example, how we talk. Well, you know, the words that we say matter. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, uh, Paul says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Right? We shouldn't be dragging people down. We should be helping people, encouraging people, loving people, um, even with the words that we're saying. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 and 15, 
Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And he says, you know, here, don't, don't complain when you're asked to do something. Don't whine about it. Um, and this is one I have to know. I, you know my wife can tell you um, that little sigh when, when you're asked to do something, that complaint, I, I just did this. I don't you know, do it again. Or, you know, those little things matter. Um, and they, they affect people. And not just the person it's directed at. Paul is telling you, do this so that others will see you because you are a light amongst the world, right? People are looking at you to see what, a, what Christ is like. Um, and those little things matter because little things are often what, what get noticed and don't get talked about. Um, so those are the things that can kind of sit in the mind for a long time. Um, as people think about what, is, what was God like? What was Christ like? And they think back to that Christian who did that little thing and they don't want any part of that anymore, right? So these little things do matter um, and they, they affect our witness in the world. Uh, we also read about how we're supposed to treat other people. Um, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, um, Jesus gave us the golden rule, right? Do to, uh, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets, right? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Um, treat them well. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So treat other people the way Christ has treated us. Um, right? Treat them, forgive them when they err, when they sin against us. Um, treat them with kindness. Um, in John uh, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, So now I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Right? They will know you by your love. Um, and so how we treat people matters, right? How we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, but also how we treat just the people around us. Um, people are watching. They see those things. It, it really matters. And then just in a very general way, again, um, our character, just our general character and how we behave. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior of the, or the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Right? So our general character, how we think, how we act, the, the words we say, all of that um, truly matters. And then finally, in Micah um, verse, chapter 6, verse 8, um, we see, Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So those, those, those characteristics, who we are, um, really matters. And it matters that we do the little things, like, again, even the, the food we eat. Um, those things are important, and they affect people. Um, and they can impact uh, a person's soul in ways that we may never know. Um, 
And there's this passages about everything, right? It's not just the words we talk about, the, the words we say. Uh, it's not just about the, the way we behave around other people. There, there are passages up and down the Bible about pretty much any behavior um, that you can think about. Uh, and, and all of them tell us that we need to do those things in ways that glorify um, the Lord. So if you're feeling a little bit daunted right now and like well, we have to think about every single action and every single word and, you know, we feel like we're going to just get paralyzed by, by all of this, um, then the next section I think will help us um, get past that and start to make progress in the direction that we're trying to go here toward that end goal of being like Christ. Um, back in verse 1, the, the final section here is know your goal. Um, and this is where we go from practical to a little bit more big picture. Um, and this, I think, will help bring us in line there. Verse, verse 1 said again, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Um, and kind of what I want to focus on is he, he draws this parallel from you have this new life, so what do you do now? You set your sights on heaven. Um, you set your sight on the reality of heaven. And I think what he's doing here is he's saying that is now your goal. That is your destination. That is where we are headed. And all this other stuff is just the, the things that we do. They're the steps that we follow to get to that place. So I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. You might have um, this idea of paralysis by analysis. And it's a catchy thing that you probably not stop saying now. Um, it gets stuck in my head whenever I say it. Um, but the idea that there's so many things and so many um, just pieces and details to think about that we get so wrapped up in all of the things that could happen that we end up not doing anything. Um, and you've probably experienced this before. I know I have. Um, and it's, it's an old, old phrase that has been around for, for many decades, uh, they, for centuries. They can't even figure out when it got first started but but that idea that we get paralyzed by just trying to to figure out what we even need to do and we end up doing nothing at all and that's i think how this can kind of feel when we get to this point um, that we we've just got to think about everything and do everything the right way and then you know sometimes the result of that is we end up doing nothing because we we get so wrapped up in all of that um but the opposite is also true, and the opposite is something we don't want to do. And this was a phrase I'd never actually heard before, but you can go extinct by instinct. And the idea there is that you don't think about anything. You just do, you know, first thing that you think about. Whatever is your gut reaction to something, you just do it. Uh, and occasionally that might work out for us, but that's not really the, the best way to live our entire lives. Um, and it's not a way that we're going to end up living and glorifying God. Um, so the, the two extremes are not where we want to go. So how do we avoid doing that? And I think what Paul tells us here um, is you have to think about the big picture. Focus on the end. Focus on the goal. Where are we trying to get to? He tells us focus on the reality of heaven. Think about that and let that kind of guide the rest of this. So an example of how that might work um, for those of you maybe are, who are runners or you, know, you ride bikes or you know, in like a any kind of athletic venture or something where you've got a long-term plan. Um, there's no immediate um, kind of uh, end game. Uh, the, the, the goal is to go somewhere in the distance. Uh, for a runner, though, you, you, know, you can't think about every step. Uh, I've never been much of a runner. I used to try to run more 
And I, I would realize every time you would start to get a little bit of a cramp or you'd start to get a little bit tired and you start to think about every single step and suddenly they're starting to slow down and they're getting harder and it, it starts to overwhelm you uh, because you know if I'm going to run this mile, then I'm going to have to make you know 5,000 steps to get to the end of this mile. And it, it starts to become overwhelming and we again get that sort of paralysis by analysis. There's too much going on. It overwhelms us and we just shut down. Um, what you do is you focus on the goal, right? You focus on the end, and that gives you that little bit extra push to keep going. You want to get to that place, so you keep going, and you keep going, and you start to kind of lose sight a little bit of those small little things that would otherwise bog us down. They start to matter a little bit less because we're focused on the end. That's where we're headed and more than that, you might even start to set smaller goals, right? Maybe you're trying to run a marathon and you can't just get through a whole marathon thinking, I want to run all the way to the end. Um, you set smaller goals, you know, would, I'm going to make it to the fifth mile. And then you get to the fifth mile and you're like, sweet, I made my goal. And it gives you that little bit of like encouragement. I did it. All right. I'm going to go the next five miles. And you start to set these little goals or mile markers or whatever they might be um, that become the smaller goals and the smaller steps we take to get somewhere. Um, and they, those things help us to not focus on the small things that would bog us down, but they break it up into manageable pieces. Um, and you probably do this for work, right? For at work, I know I every year have to set a certain number of goals for what I'm going to do that year. Um, and then you don't just set a goal, then you have to describe how are you going to get there? What are the things you're going to do to get to that point, right? If you're in sales, maybe you have to sell a certain number, uh, make a certain number of sales. Well, it's not really that helpful. And if it can be overwhelming at the beginning of the year to think I've got to make that many sales, are you kidding me? Um, but you start to break it down. Okay, I'm going to do this many every week or every month. Uh, or you start to think about how can I meet that target and here's how we're going to break up our budget for marketing or hiring extra people. Or you start to break it down into different pieces that are attainable goals that help you get to the end. And if you focus on that goal long enough, what tends to happen is, the, again, those details, the little things kind of start to slip away. We, we don't focus on them and get overwhelmed by them anymore. Um, but we, uh, we focus on the end goal and we start to find ourselves doing those little things by nature of just wanting to get to the end. Uh, right? we, we don't focus on them. We just do them because that's the next step to get to the end. And I think about, um, you think about athletes, you know, maybe baseball or something like that. There, there might be a simple play where you hit, you know, you've got a person on first base, you hit a ground ball to somebody in the infield, you're going to try to get a double play out of this. Um, there's a lot of little steps that happen in that one play of having to check how fast is the runner going? Is there a person at second base to catch it? All these little things are happening. And when you're first starting, it can take a long time to get that play done because you have to think about every single one of those things. And then you start to again, you, you start to mess up doing them now because you're thinking about it too much. You're not just doing it. And, and you see what happens when you start to get really good at those things. You do them for long periods of time. So you watch the, you know, major league players. Um, they do these things so fast because they don't have to think about it anymore. It's second nature. It just happens. It's muscle memory. Um, these things just happen because they've done it so many times. They don't have to think about it anymore. 
um, and their end goal is always in their mind. They do it that many times because they have a goal of getting to a certain place, of becoming, you know, a major league player. Or, you know, for us, we want to become like Christ. So how do we do that? Um, you know, all these little things matter, but we, if we keep that end goal in sight, we keep our focus there, the little things start to come naturally as we just do them uh, more and more and more because we want to get to that goal. We want to get to that finish line. Um, and this is true really everywhere. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, something I was thinking about is if, if you've ever seen it, well, if you are on track to get to your goal, right, it's easy to get distracted at times. We, we start to go off track. We start to, to fall away in little areas maybe. Um, but if we keep our goal in, in our sight long enough, we start to see that goal even when we're going off track. And it helps bring us back on track. And I was kind of thinking, if you've ever seen one of those pictures that goes around where you stare at this little picture for like 60 seconds, and you're not allowed to blink or anything, right? You just stare at it, and then you look over at a like blank wall, and still in your sight, even though it's no longer there, that picture is there. Um, and it won't go away for a few minutes. It's almost like burned into your eyes, and then it fades eventually. Um, but I kind of have that idea of if we can keep being like Christ and the realities of heaven, if we can keep those things in our mind long enough and hard enough and focus on it that even when we start to go away and we start to to fall to the side and get distracted um that thing is still there and it reminds us this this isn't what i'm going for this is taking me in the wrong direction helps bring us back on track so uh, paul reminds us and he brings this all together i think really well uh, in philippians chapter 3 Verses 13 through 14 will probably make more sense than I just did. Um, He says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved, but focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Right, saying, let go of the, the past. We don't, we don't have to worry and stress about that. We've been forgiven for all of that. We look forward and we look at the goal and we run for that prize, right? Run for that finish line. Keep that goal in mind. And each of those steps is going to start to become easier because we stop thinking about each of them all the time. And it starts to become, you know, this act, this, this conversation I'm about to have. Is it going to glorify the Lord? Um, and you know, when we start, we might have to think about that for every conversation we have, but as we keep that end in mind and we do this more and more, you know, we start to develop a filter that we don't even think about anymore. And we just don't have that conversation. If it wasn't going to glorify the Lord, if it was going to drag somebody down, we don't have that anymore because we just, it it gets filtered out because that's not part of our goal. That's going to take us in the wrong direction. We don't want that anymore. So I, I hope, I hope this is kind of making sense in that, um, we, we, we have to know who we are. We start with that. You know, who are we? We're dead to this life and we are alive in Christ. We are in him. Uh, we, we start to figure out what we're about, knowing, you know, what, what are we trying to do here? What, what, are we, what are we doing and how are we doing it? Um, who do we want to be known as? Um, and how our actions impact those around us? Um, and then finally, we, we keep our sight focused on that goal. And that helps us, I think, really keep on track with the small things that can, can be overwhelming if we focus on them too much uh, in and of themselves.
And I just wanted to, co- to conclude with, with an old hymn that I think um, just says this so very well. Um, the old hymn says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So if the worship team would come forward, uh, we are going to have communion today. Um, So you'll you'll notice there's tables on your left and on your right, um, the sides of the auditorium here. Um, During these couple of songs here, please at some point feel free, if um, if you are saved, to grab the elements and then um, come back to your seat. And after worship is concluded, we will take those together. Uh, let Let me pray for us real quick as we go into worship. Thank you, Lord, for... Um, for your word again, we thank you for your direction, for your care, um, that, we, um, that we know who you are and we know what you want. Uh, we know what's right. And we just pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds as we take what's been said today and take what you've written. Um, and we pray that you would do a work in our hearts. And we pray this in your name. Amen.